text, and we got a lot of text to cover that we're going to cover in kind of, as you're kind of already figuring out, we're not really hitting every detail along the way. We're hitting overall themes along the way to get a better picture and grasp. But here's the target for today's sermon. It's real simple. Jesus cares deeply for you. Jesus cares deeply for you. You know, there's just something about, and I gave the illustration a minute ago, or I gave the, not an illustration, the example a minute ago of why I decided to start a new tradition with our baby dedications is because of a moment where I saw the impact of someone caring deeply for me and how that impacted my heart. See, when we understand and really see how much people or someone, a spouse, a family member, or even Jesus himself cares for us, it changes how we relate to him. It changes how we understand why he does what he does. And in today's text and sermon, as we read it, we're going to see the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And this is one of those stories that even if you haven't been around the church long or been around Christianity long, you may have heard ideas about this. Or maybe you've heard songs or some other uh, moment of, of culture has illustrated this biblical truth and talked about it. So maybe you're familiar with it. And it's often, rightfully so, because of how it ends, it's a story of victory. It's a story of happiness. It's a story of tragedy turned good. And what I want to look at today is, although that is true to the ending of the story, and although that is true to the ending of the story in our lives, there's a lot of grief and tragedy along the way in this story. And we're going to talk about those things, and we're going to highlight those things. But that's why I start with the target statement that I really want us to get for today's sermon, is that Jesus cares deeply for you, even in the grief and the tragedy that we're about to see unfold from this text. And so that's the target statement. Point number one to kind of go along with this is, and I want to give it to you before I read the text, that way you can have it in mind as we read the text, is this. The mystery of tragedy for our good. All right, so let's, let's unpack those ideas for a second. Tragedy for our good. Sounds like, some, sounds like an oxymoron. Like, meaning, that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't work together. Tragedy for my good? Mm-mm. How about no tragedy for my good? That's what's for my good. Tragedy is not for my good. And this is the reason why I put the word mystery at the front, because one of the things we're going to see from this text that we often get even in Scripture and get because we don't, we don't have God's knowledge and we don't have control of everything and we don't always see all the details and sometimes we don't understand it. But we're going to see from this text, not that God causes the tragedy and it turns out for our good necessarily, but that when tragedy comes along, somehow the mystery in the sense that we don't always understand, we don't always make sense to us, but we can see and be encouraged from this text that it does work for our good. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We're beginning to see a picture of the theology of God's glory, even in suffering. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Once again, that doesn't make sense. He's ill. You can save him. Why are you stopping? Why aren't you immediately going? Right? These should be the questions we're asking. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Remember we just quoted in John chapter 1 about Jesus being the light of the world. These themes are continuing to come out where he's saying and expressing that he is that light. We've already talked about it in detail, but this is just a kind of he interjects it a little bit talked about in detail, not today, but in previous messages. Verse 10, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that he was simply taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I appreciate his passion. I don't understand why he feels the need to die also, but appreciate his passion to follow the Lord. I love that John gives us that information, even though it's not vital to the story. But I want to read again verse 14 and 15. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Tragedy has set. And for your sake, the disciples and others who will be there, I'm glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Here's this moment, and we see from the rest of the story, that the fact that Jesus, two miracle options, Jesus hears that he's sick, He doesn't delay. He goes and does the opposite of what he does here. He gets there, and before Lazarus dies, he lays his hands on him, heals him. Wonderful. Everybody's happy. Tragedy avoided. But instead, Jesus takes option number two. In fact, I'm going to allow tragedy to set in. And I'm going to allow tragedy to set in so that a greater victory may come and so that you may come to a greater depth of belief in me. Where in fact, this tragedy, instead of it being avoided, Jesus allowed it to, be, to occur in order for a greater good to come in people's lives. Okay, this is, I believe, faithful to what's happening here in this text. But I want to also recognize that's, that's a hard truth to swallow. Can I, can I just be honest? Like, in moments of grief and tragedy, my thought isn't necessarily, God, I know that you're going to allow something really good to come out of this, and I'm just really grateful for this happening. It's not what I was thinking when my dad passed away a few months ago. After being diagnosed with cancer just 39 days before, and now he's taken from me and going, you know what, this is going to be really good. It's not what was crossing my mind. And I I just want to be as, as honest and as vulnerable to say, this is the reason why I titled point number one, The Mystery. Because I, I'm telling you, I see what the text is saying. And I can objectively, knowing the full story, understand why this is actually is good. But you want to apply this truth to my life. 
It's a mystery most of the times in my life. But I also want to say that when we talk about our value of reading Scripture, we consistently turn to the Bible as our ultimate, ultimate guide for life and truth. And what that means is at times when the Bible challenges my emotions and how I interpret or feel about a situation, i got to work to surrender my emotions to the truth of the text and recognize that God's ways are not my ways. And I recognize that there are many times that I don't understand what God is doing, even in great tragedy, but I trust that he cares deeply for me and therefore is working in such a way to bring about a greater good for his honor and his glory, even if at times that means tragedy in my life is not avoided. This morning, I had the privilege of preaching at a friend's church in Elmhurst, um, um, and I was having a conversation with a gentleman who was a first-time guest. It was the first time he had been to the church, first time I had been to the church. We happened to sit next to each other, and so as soon as service was over, I just kind of began a conversation with him. And it was his first time, so I was starting to ask a little, you know, questions like, hey, how did you hear about the Elm? And he was like, well, actually, one of the pastor's brothers, um, is, he's a client of, and long story short, he mentions that he's only been a Christian for a couple of years. I said, hey, I'd love to hear your story. Like, how did you come to faith? Someone who had grown up here in uh, New York. And he said, well, actually, you know, I was pretty agnostic. I was against the faith. I was all these things. And he talked about a lot of reasons because he had seen some harm done from churches and different things. He was just against it. Eventually, though, because um, this pastor's brother, who's also a pastor, they have a business together. And this, is, this gentleman was one of their clients for about 10 years. And so they'd just been continuing to love on him and encourage him and invite him to church. And so the guy said, you know what? I made a deal. I'll come 10 times. Right? Not one time, not two times. He recognized, like, I, I don't give it a chance. Like, I'll come 10 times. And he said he came, he said it was actually the morning he was getting ready for the 10th time to church, he had decided, you know, this isn't for me. Like, this just isn't for me. I've given it 10. I'll go one more time. And eventually he went, and what the sermon happened that day really spoke to him. But he said, he said this statement to me. He said, you know, the pastor who was the pastor of the church I was with, his brother who's a pastor, who's this guy's pastor. So I know I've used pastor in like three different ways and you're confused, forgive me. But the gentleman who helped lead him to Christ at the time had stage four cancer. I don't know what kind, but cancer. And he said to me, he said, you know what? He said, I probably would have never come to church if there wasn't a little bit of just feeling like I owed it to him because I felt like he was sick and I may not have another opportunity, so I came. And he said, watching how he handled the sickness and watching how God healed him from his cancer and walked with him and all that, he said, he said, I could tell you this, if he was not sick and had not seen God work in his life, I promise you I would not be a Christian today. And I immediately thought about this moment because I knew I was preparing John 11. I was thinking about this truth, the mystery of tragedy for our good. And I want to be clear. I am not saying that God is the creator of all tragedy, I'm just saying that tragedy exists and sometimes God allows it to come into our lives and sometimes there really is a greater good for eternity and glory that we just can't understand. And honestly, I'm not sure if I knew it at the time, I would be okay with it. But I listened to what this gentleman said and he said, had this gentleman, had, had this other guy not been sick and I had not seen what God done in his life, there's, I never would have given Christianity a chance. Whether we fully understand the cancer in that moment or not, here's what we can conclude. 
that this gentleman has put his faith and trust in Jesus because of tragedy that came in someone else's life. Once again, I want to be careful here because I'm not saying that all tragedy in your life is good. But what I am saying is that God and his sovereign plan, that he cares deeply for you, that he still works in the tragedy for good of some sort, even if we don't understand it. And oftentimes, whether we were willing to admit it or not, it is there is good that comes out of us and our lives. If nothing else, I'll say this, and obviously this is a sensitive idea, because I don't want to put blame on God for tragedy, but I also want to recognize that God works in our tragedy to say this, that I know that I walk, I am walking closer with Christ today because of grief and tragedy in my life. I, I don't know if, if nothing else, then I know that God just has a way that in difficult moments to bring me to him. In moments of grief, in moments of difficulty, in moments of pain, in moments of financial difficulty, in sickness, in, emo, in emotional, even in moments of depression and whatever else may face my life, those are the moments that often drive me to my knees. Now, obviously, hopefully, we would like to say, I don't need tragedy to come to Jesus, but sometimes we do. And sometimes we do need that, that moment. And so not to say, once again, that God is a spiteful God who's angry at us, but he is a God that even in tragedy from this text, he says, it is good that Lazarus has died and I was not there to save him because now you might believe. Now, he understood he was about to go resurrect him from the dead, which is pretty cool. But I want us to understand, and that hopefully this gives us hope, why can we believe and have faith that even in tragedy there is good? Because Jesus cares deeply for you. We can trust that in our tragedy, he is not leaving us alone, but we can trust that in tragedy and difficult moments, he cares deeply for us and is walking with us. And for whatever reason, he's working in a way that is, that is going to be a powerful, to some degree, even if we don't fully see it, once again, a mystery for his honor, and for our good. It's a challenge. It's a mystery that we got to wrestle with, but we see it in the text. Point number two, Jesus cares deeply for us, and we see a mystery of tragedy that is for our good. And this is probably even the answer to point number one, if we really think about it in a very theological way. But we see point number two, the guarantee of resurrection in our death. Uh, intentionally, the, intentionally use the word death here, which is a tragedy. Death is a tragedy. But because of Jesus and because of the gospel and what Jesus has done, because he is a resurrected to life himself, I, I said it earlier during our time of prayer, if Jesus was dead, what hope do we have? But Jesus is alive. And part of that life that he, in faith with him, guarantees resurrection for us even in our death, which is to say that the, in the tragedy of death, the greatest good comes on the other side in Jesus which is eternal life in Jesus. Look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated, um, remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. That's a factual statement, most likely. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's pretty bold. She's, she's just putting it out there. Hey, so you weren't here earlier, so what you going to do about it now? 
I don't know if that's what she meant. That's kind of how I'm reading it. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she gives the theologically correct answer. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, even then she understood the hope that was to be found in Jesus. But Jesus said to her, I am that resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Jesus, or excuse me, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. See, you got to understand, if you're going to make the claim, I am the resurrection and the life, what you're saying is you control life, and you control when people come to life or not. And if you're wanting people to believe in you for eternal life off that claim, you better do something to prove what you're saying is true. I get the question sometime when people hear the story of Lazarus. They'll say, man, if Jesus was just going around raising people from the dead, then why didn't he just do it all the time? Like, that would be the best way to prove to people. And that's, there's some truth to that. But you've got to understand the main point of this text is not that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The main point of this text is that he used that to prove a greater truth, that he is the resurrection and life for all eternity. If you're going to claim that you're the resurrection and life and that people should put their faith and trust in you for all eternity, not in something else, not in some other God or some other religion or some other thing in this world, but if you're going to go, you should put your trust in me for all eternity, what are you going to do to prove it to me that I should do this? It's the reason why... John is known, and Jesus, or excuse me, John even talks about this as their signs. He calls them specifically signs, which signs are pointing to something. A road sign points you in a direction. It lets you know it's pointing to something. And, and John writes his miracles and calls them signs because each miracle is pointing to a greater truth. And here with Lazarus, the greater truth is not that Jesus right there has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, but because through evidence that he has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, he has the power to raise you too from the dead. Hence, point number two, the guarantee of resurrection in our death. Jesus cares for us deeply, and in that, from this text, we see a mystery of tragedy that is for our good, and the greatest mystery of tragedy that is for our good played out is that in death, Jesus guarantees resurrection and eternal life in him. This is the good news of this story. Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's an important question. It's a question that I ask you, and I challenge you to give an honest answer. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is indeed the one who is able to control your life after your physical death? That even in death, there is a guarantee of life in Jesus. Continue on in the story, verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house were consoling her, saw that she, she, Mary, rose quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. 
Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was greatly troubled. He was perplexed, his emotions, and, um, and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eye of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You know, two things quickly about this idea that Jesus wept. One, I'm just really appreciative of Scripture giving us this experience with Jesus. I'm grateful to see that the one who is 100% God and 100% man wept. I'm grateful to see this side of his emotions. I'm grateful to see his passion. But also, I'm a, little, I'm a little perplexed by his weeping because he knew Lazarus was going to die and he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why is he weeping? He knows the end of the story. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Why is emotions overtaking him? And I only have one answer from the text, which is, once again, the target statement for today's sermon. Jesus cares for you deeply. He began to cry after he saw the grief that tragedy brought on others. He began to cry because he saw Mary and Martha and others and how much they were affected by this event. Even though he knew the end was coming, they did not. And therefore, they wept and they grieved in the light of the real tragedy that was happening in front of them. With no anticipation that Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, they were just simply grieving. He had been in the tomb four days. And I see that Jesus wept. And once again, I don't think it's necessarily that Jesus wept because, oh man, Lazarus is dead. What am I going to do? I'm going to miss my friend. No, he's about to raise him from the dead. But he saw, I believe, in the human race, the brokenness and the grief that tragedy brings upon them. And out of his deep care for people that he loves, he wept. Church family, Jesus cares for you. And he sees and promises resurrection and eternal life in him. And he has, we know the end of the story and he knows the end of the story, but that does not mean that tragedy has no effect on us. And when it does have effect on us, I'm grateful for God who weeps because of the effects of tragedy, and cares for me deeply. But as we come to this moment where we see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, I simply want to give you our takeaway statement is this. Believe and see the glory of God. Believe and see the glory of God. Remember, what did Jesus tell his disciples? I'm grateful I was not there. So that you may believe. And we see that begin to play out. Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. I want, I want to pause here. Deeply moved again, it caused him to action. Guys, the statement, Jesus cares deeply for you, the main point of today's sermon, that tragedy caused his emotions to weep, and that tragedy and that pain and that suffering called Jesus to react. Deeply move again. He said, all right, I'm putting an end to this. He came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. 
And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Statements, believe and see the glory of God. Church family, that's the challenge and the takeaway as we look at the tragedy of the text, the victory that Jesus brings in the text. We see Jesus' expression of care for those within the story and his care for you and I. But this whole story and this whole event has taken place for you to see all of that and then be challenged with this. Believe and see the glory of God. They had a moment, Martha was like, hey, don't take away the stone. And he challenged her to believe and trust me. Church family, might you believe and trust God? Might you see that he is good? And might you see that he is the Savior? And might you see that there is a guarantee of resurrection and life, even in death, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Believe in him and you will be saved. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation and guarantee of resurrection after death is not just something that you receive without faith. There is a call to faith, and there's a call to confession. There's a call to repentance. There's a call for you to put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. What does that mean? It means simply this, that you give all of your life over to him. You trust in him. You call upon him asking for the forgiveness of your sins and say, I believe in you. I trust in you with my life today and my life eternal. I believe in you. I have faith in you. I give my all to you. And scripture says that if you do that, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and make you righteous. Might you believe in Jesus and see the glory of God for all eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so grateful for this story, because it's a very tangible, clear expression of what is eternally true for every single one of us in you. Meaning the clear expression of you raising Lazarus from the dead is a promise and a guarantee that you are able to do that for me. That if I put my trust in you, that if I believe in you, I will see your glory in the resurrection once this life comes to an end. That's a promise and a guarantee. Thank you. Thank you. Nothing else in this world offers me that hope. Nothing else on this world, even if it offered that hope, would be able to fulfill that hope except for you, Jesus. And so we worship you today. Father, I don't understand tragedy and how you use it, but I do trust that you use it despite it. And it's a mystery to me, but I trust that no matter what's going on in my life, I trust you care for me. 
that you love me and that you're not going to leave me nor forsake me, but you're going to walk with me. And I trust that in all aspects of tragedy, even in the mysteries of those moments, even in the great grief of those moments, you care for me and that you are going to use this for your honor and your glory and somehow even for my good. I don't get it. And at times, I don't like it. But I just trust you because I know you care for me. You care for me. And therefore, you're with me. And I pray that over this church family as well. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.